Hello and welcome to Staying Connected, the German Embassy's podcast. My name is Darius Rahimi. I am the German Consul in London. When people ask me about diplomatic and consular relations with the UK, they are usually aware of the German Embassy in London and the Consulate General in Edinburgh. What few people know is that there are 17 German honorary consuls, all of whom were appointed by the German President and our Federal Foreign Minister. They are our heroes in the regions and bridge builders in the best sense of the word. Two of them are going to explain their role and experience in the UK. Helga Rother Simmons, our Honorary Consul in Cardiff, Wales, and Richard Cutler, our Honorary Consul in Southampton, England. They are going to be interviewed by the Chairman of the British German Association, Peter Barnes. Thank you all three for taking part in today's podcast, and Peter, over to you. Well, thank you for that introduction, and may I add my own welcome to uh, Helga and Richard, who are joining me here today. Most British people, when they hear the word honorary consul, think of the novel by Graham Greene or the film adaptation with Michael Caine of a lonely, drunken guy in a forsaken South American Republic trying to save his marriage and prevent a revolution. But I'm sure the reality of being an honorary consul is somewhat different from Graham Greene's novel. Helga, could you start us off by uh, explaining what an honorary consul actually is? I'm uh, the honorary consul for Germany here in Cardiff, in Wales, and I have been I have been doing this now for 25 years. And just to start it off with, over that period, even the role of the honorary consul has changed a lot. I have never experienced that. Uh, image of the honorary consul as you have just <laughs> described it or some authors have described it even though initially I must say yes we attended quite a few nice meetings dinners lunches etc in those days when I started it has decreased immensely the honorary consul usually looks after the connection between the host country which is in my case uh, Wales in the UK and Germany and the task is to make links between the governments, links between the local authorities uh, of the two countries and the areas we are representing, and make links with people. And uh, it is a very, very broad range of activities uh, which are involved in that position. That's excellent. Richard Kapler, I wonder if you could add anything to what Helga said, and in particular, perhaps clarify for our listeners, the difference between an honorary consul and a consul general, because that's uh, often something which people uh, identify wrongly. Yes, of course. So I'm the honorary consul for Hampshire, Wiltshire, Dorset and the Isle of Wight. Um, and I've been fulfilling this role for very nearly 10 years now. Um, I've also witnessed a lot of change over that period. Um, so the, the honorary consul role, um, the honorary part of it was a very key element when I first took over. And so lots of kind of representing Germany, the German government at uh, events. Um, I remember sort of shadowing my predecessor to a military visit at um, Portsmouth Dockyard and lots of kind of, a bit, a bit like Helga says, lo lots of invites to events, lunches. Um, certainly that was, was described to me by my predecessor. The reality when I took over uh, has become somewhat different and, and, and no worse for it at all. Uh, it's much more administrative now. I find it 
you know, very engaging, very, very interesting on a daily basis, challenges continually. Um, but it's much more about problem solving, dealing with, with citizens, dealing with distress situations, you know, passport renewals, uh, signature witnessing, those kinds of things, uh, which is kind of moving it much more into the, the professional consul, as you describe the consul general kind of feel, really. And, you know, we still have that, that, that honorary element to our role. We still represent the, the embassy. But I've noticed very much more that professionalization over the over the decade of my my service. That's very interesting. Helga, you've been one of the longest serving honorary consuls for Germany in the UK, but can you explain to our listeners whether there are any specific qualifications required to become an honorary consul and what the appointment process is to become an honorary consul? Many people ask, is there an application? How can I become a consul? It is uh, usually a recommendation and uh, trying to find a person who has strong links within their community they live in and also strong links still to Germany because most of the honorary consuls, if they're German nationals, they live in, in the UK and should still have contacts to Germany. But many honorary consuls, which many people don't know, are not necessarily German nationals. But more and more, they do try to get at least German speakers, but also those German speakers who may be British nationals have strong links to Germany, either via business, via culture, via schools. There should be a link which promises to enable the honorary consul uh, to deepen that link and deepen the contacts and make sure that they can, in their way of business, help to, to, to deepen those, uh, those contacts. Excellent. Richard, if I've understood rightly, the honorary in the word honorary consul means that you don't get paid for what you do. I wonder if you could just confirm if my understanding is correct and say, if you're not paid, what is your motivation for, for doing this job? Yeah, of course, it's a, it is a sort of um, an honorary role. So there's no, there's no salary, there are no expenses paid by the embassy. So effectively, there's a network of honorary consuls around the world providing a service to local German people without that generating any cost for the, the Federal Foreign Office, which is obviously an advantageous thing from a government point of view. However, the embassy, the Federal Foreign Office also recognises that it's very difficult for people to dedicate huge amounts of their time to these roles with no kind of remuneration at all. Uh, and so the way it works is the honorary consuls are entitled to retain the fees for the services they provide. Those fees would have been paid in, in London or wherever your uh, embassy is based. Uh, and instead of paying those to the embassy, those are paid then to the individual honorary consul. So for instance, someone like myself, I do probably 25 to 30 hours a week as an honorary consul, if you include all of my time I spend answering emails, phone calls, etc. Um, and on, you know, times like the current times, which are very busy, that, that may be nudging up more like 35 hours a week. That would be very difficult to do on a voluntary basis, um, certainly, you know, at working age. Um, so I think the balance that's been struck is, is very sensible. And, you know, the citizens themselves uh, have that service being offered to them locally. Um, and then, you know, the kind of the ability to to still pay that fee they would have paid in London, but, but that'd be rerouted to the honorary consul. So I think it's well, it's well designed. That, that's a very helpful explanation. And Helga, as Richard has just explained, 
honorary consuls are not professional diplomats in the sense of being part of the embassy paid team. But can you explain a little bit about the, what the relationship between an honorary consul and the German embassy in London actually is? The re relationship uh, is uh, that we really are in regular contact with the administrative side, like Richard explained, we all, not all of the consuls do passports. Everybody can choose how much they actually, time they can. The uh, connection which is wanted as well is not only to the administrative uh, acts, but also the link with the German embassy to tell them what is going on. After Brexit, the Welsh government, even though has voted for Brexit, unfortunately, the big cities in, in Wales did not. The Welsh government decided they wanted to do a programme to keep in contact with Germany. So they introduced for the year 2021 a Wales in Germany year and uh, produ produced a programme and involved people working from Berlin and from Dusseldorf to make contacts. And in these things, we are expected to be involved to be involved in the international connection of the Welsh government, for instance. Uh, cities uh, partnership between Stuttgart and Cardiff, for instance, uh, Swansea and Mannheim. We are expected to make and help uh, linking these things. Stuttgart is very, very, uh, has been always very, very active. And so it's, uh, we had many, many good uh, meetings with them and many good uh, projects coming from those links. Excellent. That's a helpful explanation. And Richard, I'm sure in your role, you come across honorary consuls working for other countries. Can you say if there's anything distinctive about the way in which Germany uses its honorary consuls in, in distinction to the way that other countries might deploy their honorary consuls? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, if we, we had this conversation maybe 25 or 30 years ago, then most of the maritime ports around the UK would have had large honorary consul communities with 10, 15, maybe even you know more countries represented through honorary consuls. My base for Hampshire, Dorset, Wiltshire, Isle of Wight is Southampton, uh, and there is still a, an honorary consul core, but represented in that now is only Denmark, Finland and the Netherlands. And even in my time, Sweden um, and Norway, he was the same honorary consul, but you know, he's he's retired and not been not been replaced. The only sort of honorary consuls that did something similar were the Dutch. And actually they they used to run a, a visa office in Southampton on the edge of Southampton. But that was shut down about eight years ago, and they're moving, you know, much more to align with the other honorary consuls who basically do distress. They deal with a local person from that country who needs immediate support and culture, and and not not this big kind of bit in the middle that we as honorary consuls do for Germany, which is the administrative support, um, which you know I, I view as being incredibly important. Going, going back to my previous point about time. Most of those honorary consuls I've spoken to have always said they, they couldn't possibly fulfill the German role that I fulfill because they wouldn't be able to allocate the time. I mean, you know, I said that I do 25, 30, 35 hours in a week, but I also work full time alongside that. So somehow I fit, <laughs> I fit two full time jobs into my life. But what I do find is that most people who do these roles tend to be kind of self supporting. You know, they either have their own business or they have the ability to work. You know, flexibly, or it's very difficult if you are 
you know, in a job that requires you to be in a certain place at a certain time every week, and then on top of that to be a busy honorary consul. And I think, you know, that's been reflected across the other honorary consuls. They found it very hard to replace people when, when the previous people retire. Uh, well, I'm delighted that the German honorary consul community is, is still so strong. Helga, in your previous answer, you were beginning to talk about the nature of Germans, Germany's presence in Wales and the role of the honorary consul in supporting that. I mean, it is unusual in that Wales is not just a region of the UK, it's a devolved nation of the UK. So can you say something about the nature of Wales from a German perspective? In other words, how many Germans, as far as you know, live in Wales and what kind of German-related institutions or uh, activities are, uh, are active within the Welsh nation? Funnily enough, just after Brexit, the Welsh government uh, instructed a university research programme to find out how many uh, Europeans are living in Wales and also how many Germans. And it turns out that the round figure at the time was uh, just after Brexit, 11,000 uh, German nationals in, living in Wales. That is obviously including people who move around, the students who at the time were living in Wales, people who have not, not left yet because of Brexit, other people, people who could not work here any longer, or people who would have, you know, would have come but can't now because they haven't got enough sources to live here to uh, comply with the new visa rules, unfortunately. So yes, there is about 11,000, and it's actually a very... Uh, interesting community of German nationals in Wales. It's, they're not only just in the big cities, usually in the big cities with universities, hospitals, because a lot of lecturers and a lot of uh, doctors have come over uh, in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, or a little bit later. And a lot of people also go uh, uh, went to live in the uh, rural areas of Wales because, of, because they like the lifestyle. And it's a beautiful country and they love, the, uh, they love Wales. And uh, following Brexit, and because I see many people with the passports, it also gives an opportunity to talk to them and find out what, you know, why they're here and what they're doing. And uh, it is actually most interesting. It's what, uh, another more important part of the council, I think, to find out what they're doing. How can they be linked? So there are some groups uh, of, of Germans who do uh, family meetings every year, not in the last three, two years, obviously, but now they're restarting. Actually, the beginning of July is the first uh, barbecue again of German families in South Wales. And things like that happen um, you know, a few times in the year, and that will be uh, always connected with people I try to tell them, oh, there's another family, you know, let's do something, you know, let's uh, uh, connect them with these groups. And that is quite important. The Welsh government as obviously as a already keen. Then there are many other many other connections where we don't quite know how they started. Sporting groups, uh, particularly for football teams, exchanges, etc. You mentioned school exchanges. Uh, they are running by the side, obviously, in the last couple of years, yet again, everything has to be restarted and reorganized. And that is actually a big part now for the future, I find, that one uh, in the role has to assist to, to manage that. That will be a difficult task. And, and Richard, to reflect the same question back to you, could you say a little bit about 
from a southern England perspective, how many Germans there are in your area and what the nature of um, those institutions and activities are? So our, the numbers are very similar to Helga's actually. Um, so kind of including the border regions because I, I sort of pull in a little bit of uh, West Sussex as well, even though it's not my official um, area, but um, you know, it's much closer to Southampton than, than it is to say Dover, which is the, the area that it would be. So yeah, around a similar number, 11 to 12,000, I would say. I am currently tracking to see between 800 and 1,000 people this year. We'll have to see how it, how it goes for a myriad of different reasons that, that they might come to me. Anything from, as we said, passports to name declarations to life certificates for their pensions to still quite a few citizenship applications coming through. Lots and lots of different reasons that people might come. And um, I think it's a really important sort of have that central hub, have that place that people can, those, those 11 to 12,000 people can, can come and, and sort of get a local, a local person. Similar to Helga, there are all sorts of really interesting kind of connections. You know, we've got uh, parent groups, which are great because they sort of just meet up in a pub, or obviously not in the winter, but speak a little bit of German. We've got a Sandstarschule here in Southampton, which is great. Um, I've been part of a group of tour guides, so um, lots of German cruise ships stop in Southampton around about, I think it's 45 to 50,000 German, or at least passengers on German cruise ships. They may not necessarily all be Germans, but disembark in Southampton for about eight hours throughout the year and uh, so there's, uh, there's companies that provide German tour guides for those and take them up to Stonehenge and London and all sorts. There's uh, this good focal employment potential there for German-speaking part-time people. There's still some twinning associations which you'll be pleased to hear from a BGA perspective which you know I've been and talked at a few of those and, and, and been part of ju um, jubilee celebrations when they've reached a certain a certain 25 or 50 year anniversary which is great there's still school exchanges happening again i'm part of one particular one that i just support because it's in, in the place that i live but um that's great to see um and then we do still have some associations some sort of more traditional you know um that, that affiliate even to the bga i think so those those are still those connections are still there and still strong yes they've suffered some of them over the over the the last 20 years, but some have got stronger too. And I think the more informal ones are the ones that have, have done better or the ones that focus on German language. I think those are the two areas that have done, done really well. And I probably should mention as well that my, in my region, Wiltshire is a major part of, which is um, a, a, an army county um, and has seen a significant repatriation of British soldiers from Germany over the last six or seven years. And that brings with them lots of German wives and husbands. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an important function of my role, I think, to provide a local contact for those people who are very young generally and married, very young, have children quite young and find themselves in a foreign country with no family support. We all know what it's like to raise babies without having that family support around you. And yeah, they, they have lots of questions about various things, German-related, British-related, and I think it's important that, that um, I'm able to, to answer those questions if needed. Helga, as Richard mentioned, tone twinning is a big emphasis of the British German Association, and I'm aware in Wales that there are a lot of tone twinning associations with Baden-Württemberg, and that at a national level you've just had the Wales in Germany year. But can you say a little bit more about 
your perspective on that town twinning scene and whether the town twinning organizations are in in a phase of growth or in a phase of of challenge to their operations i think at the moment it is very challenging Personally, I'm very involved in, you know, in the, or always have been since the uh, inception in 1984 with the Cardiff Stuttgart Association. And uh, that obviously has suffered quite a lot, even though they tried to do Zoom meetings in the last couple of years. These are meetings where people are, who are interested in Germany or Germans involved, and they're trying to arrange meetings and uh, interesting talks and interesting vis visits. Uh, that has suffered a lot. It is a uh, an organization just run by the people who are members and uh, was supported by a Cardiff council in providing facilities for room etc uh, and also supported by the by Stuttgart city which is uh, uh, quite they are very very positive and always have been but it's becoming from the city council point of view more and more professional so the sort of personal interests and personal uh, the, the the private organisations are a little bit marginal have become marginal because the cities have big plans for their you know increasing uh, the, the business 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 and not the people aspect or the language aspect and one hasn't got the time to deal with these little side. Uh, issues they think I, I find so at the moment it is getting more difficult I think the smaller the actual twinning associations and the towns are the more active they can be and that is uh, uh, needs to be supported and I think it's that's excellent if you know that they carry on doing this because the, the personal contact is exactly what makes the twinning arrangement work it's the people and not the business and the money <laughs> So it's quite interesting to see. Hopefully, we are restarting in September with normal meetings, and hopefully, we can uh, get again uh, more activities and actually uh, this exchange going again. We find it hard in Stuttgart to find actually organisations who would who have the similar remit as we have here. So they have the German. British uh, situation there. They have groups there where they have German-British talks, but not the particular Cardiff-Stuttgart, which is uh, a shame. <laughs> it's so much easier if you have an equivalent and can say, oh, let's exchange or let's join our meeting via Zoom now, etc. So that is uh, something we, we are missing. Very um, helpful to understand that. Richard, in the past few years, there have been, I would say, three global events which have potentially impacted the British-German relationship. First, Brexit, whatever you think of it. Second, the pandemic. And then recently, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, I'd be particularly interested, given, as you were just explaining, the number of former military in the area you look after, as to how perceptions of Germany have been affected, if at all, by, by those events by the people that you've come across? So the people I come across generally are German citizens themselves. So, you know, there they will potentially during their 20 minutes or half an hour appointment, they might express their own views on on how their government is, is you know, engaging in, in, for instance, you know, the Ukraine conflict. I wouldn't 
you know, obviously wish to engage with uh, personal opinions on that. But um, I think, you know, again, it's uh, sort of an important thing is to have a, an open ear at these times and, and listen to what people are saying. And it's almost at many times a bit of a counselling role being an honorary consul. In terms of the, the other two that you mentioned, Brexit, was we were able to have quite a practical um, kind of uh, role because we were able to provide advice and support and reassurance to people. There was a lag between what we would have liked to have received from the British government in terms of a future way forward for, say, settled status, um, and when people were asking the question. So, unfortunately, we couldn't provide the answers at the time they wanted them at the start, but eventually that lag disappeared and, you know, the settled status um, system settled down and, and became, you know, relatively efficient, really. And um, certainly that has been, you know, a source of um, reassurance of people to know that they have got a permanent resident status now. Um, we're able to continue to help them by reminding them to update their passport numbers and things, because otherwise they get a little bit of a risk slap at the, at the border coming back into the UK. So I think, you know, I, I, regardless of the politics of Brexit, um, I felt that there was a role for us there in kind of reassuring local people and, you know, helping them to try and help their lives stay as on track as possible, despite Brexit, if that makes sense. Um, the pandemic as well, again, there were practical things. The embassy, through both Brexit and the pandemic, created some fantastic web resources that we could direct citizens towards. And it was basically a case of staying, you know, a bit like, you know, teaching when you're not quite sure of your subject matter, staying just a little bit ahead of the class. And so it was a case of checking that website every day. And, you know, then we were able to advise and, and give people links to the certain information. So I found those things, those pandemic and Brexit, certainly easier, despite the fact that they that created an enormous amount of work. I mean, you know, tens of emails every day at the, at the peak of both, just, just, explaining and reassuring people but at least there was a way through it there was a way to do it and in terms of the, the Ukraine crisis you know it's just it's just a lot harder to, to provide any kind of uh, honorary consul kind of support in that sense. I understand we're beginning to come towards the end of our time but I'd like to finish by asking you both uh, the same question which is what are your personal hopes for the future relationship between the UK and Germany. Um, Helga, let's start with you. Uh, the hope is that uh, we will continue, like particularly the Wales government would want to uh, have these stronger links that we can improve on the uh, economic situation between the uh, two countries, that we are somehow ease the, the delays and the problems which occur on the borders, because unfortunately it does appear now that uh, really uh, there is that there are many many problems which have been not solved or who are which are very cost ineffective. And also people are still surprised what is happening. Some people are. <laughs> people are still surprised that they have to have settled status, unfortunately. Those are the vulnerable people who have been not considered at the time by the British government. Things uh, that we, we live in hope that settled status will continue to be in principle, um, as it was stated, leaving the European nationals to live as they have lived before Brexit in the UK, whether that will be so. I don't know. I hope so. I hope that the links between the countries individually, laterally, will 
or bilaterally will be improving again after after Brexit, after COVID, uh, that we can continue to so, uh, work with each other and also ex uh, you know, have the exchanges, but also have the discussions and uh, hopefully continue with the uh, with the trend which I found 2005 to 2015 on. I thought it was actually the image of Germany has been improving in the UK and in Wales particularly, and I thought that was such a good move. I think the Euro I think it was a football World Cup when all of a sudden something moved moved in a different direction away from World War II but to a new con a continued relationship with this Europe and with this Germany. Let's hope it continues. Richard, the same question to you, your, your hopes for the future. Obviously on the highest possible level, I hope uh, the deepest possible relationship between the UK and Germany. From an honorary consul point of view, I sort of see there's a few gray areas in terms of processes that, that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis around naming law um, and, and dual citizenship that have become more challenging since Brexit. And I, I would love to see that in the future those, those are sort of addressed and, and they would make the life of Germans living in the UK much easier. And I think that would be, I'd like to see that Germans living in the UK are not penalised because British people have elected not to be part of the EU, um, if that makes sense. I'd like to, and you're like this, Peter, I'd like to see an expansion of the BGA um, around the UK. I think we've discussed that previously, and I think it would be marvellous to see BGA coming out of London and into the, into the regions. I think, you know, you've got some fantastic best practice that you can share with all of us locally. I have had contact from a British honorary consul in Germany who would like to set up a relationship with me to see what happens, just to see what we can facilitate in terms of relations between our two areas. So I'd like to see that on a, on a pilot basis and see how that works. And then I, I'm sort of in discussions with various exchanges I talked to about expanding beyond traditional twinning and traditional school exchanges into kind of more focused exchanges. So whether that be sports or music and not necessarily thinking about it as an exchange, but thinking about it as an opportunity for one group to go to one country or the other country, not necessarily has to be reciprocal. But therefore, if we can find people who are prepared to host here and people who are prepared to host there, there's the opportunity for people to travel to either country for an interest, which they would immediately share with the, 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 you know, the other country, rather than necessarily just because they're part of a school or a town that's, that's active. So I think there's some serious work for, in all of those areas, but it would be wonderful if one or more of those could come off in the next five years. Well, a lot of food for thought and a lot of ideas to take forward. That's all we have time for today. May I thank my fellow panellists, Helga Rother-Simmons, the Honorary Consul in Cardiff, and Richard Cutler, the Honorary Consul in Southampton, for joining me today. And to you, ladies and gentlemen, for your interest in this latest edition of the German Embassy podcast. Thank you very much.